This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, and I'm your host, Tia, for episode three of our special bonus mini-series, This Is Not an Interview. Today I am not interviewing Christopher Savela, writer of basically all the things. I honestly don't know how I even managed to get an hour out of him today. He writes uh, Cold War, Heartthrob, Welcome Back, Short Order Crooks, Death Defying. He's got a couple cool ones coming up. Shanghai Red, Crowded. We're going to talk about these and a lot more. Hi, Chris. Is it okay if I call you Chris? Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. I don't know. Christopher is uh, a lot of syllables, but... Yeah, that just goes on uh, the titles of my books. Uh, That's the only time I expect anyone to use that, so... Okay, cool. Well... So I'm just going to say right off the bat, one of my favorite things about following you on Twitter is the dogs of Portland. It's, uh, yeah, it's become a thing because I'm not allowed to have a dog. So this is how I, uh, this is how I get my dog fix is I just creep on other people's dogs. Um, (laughs) Like, yeah, I've, I've set up all these rules. Like I can't pet the dog. I can't like ask to take a photo of the dog. It all has to be like hush, hush. And, uh. Is your rule for not petting the dog because you're going to like form an attachment that'll be too difficult for you to break at some point when the dog has to leave? No, mostly I just like I respect other people's dogs and you don't <laughs> like some people get uptight about you touching their dog and some people uh, keep vicious animals and then they just bring them outside for some reason. <laughs> so for for my safety and the, and the dog's safety. Sure. Uh, I keep, I keep my distance. It, it gives me my objectivity, um, so I can post their photos on Twitter. <laughs> One of these days, you'll have to put together like a, a clown motel style zine of all your. I have of your dogs. Yeah, I have a. Uh, I got to expand on it, but I have a sixty-page zine that Where? I made. I want. Th- um, <laughs> I'll send you a copy. It's okay. it's on my. I sell it on my store. Uh, yeah, it was like it's. Uh, so I, like all the weird zine things I do, I call them part of my dumbstronaut series. Um, it's like dumb astronaut. Uh, and so there was clown motel, then there was pool disaster and I was trying to figure out a new one and I was just like, fuck it. Just coffee shop dogs. Like I have all these photos. So yeah, I have like 60 pages and it's like a small, like manga size. So, uh, uh, you know, you can tuck it in your pocket and take it with you. Nice. Yeah. I feel like you got you got to put that front and center at the conventions. I don't know how I missed that. Yeah, it's a hard sell because people will pick it up and look at it and go like, "Oh, dogs," and then they'll put it down because <laughs> it's like, "Oh, cool, I saw some dogs." Now, like, I'm gonna move on. People, listen. These are quality dogs. You're missing out. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. The pool disaster. That's also like that's a saga for the ages yeah it's finally over well sort of over it it continues to keep going but like the pool is no longer there but my mom's neighbors are so they just appeared on the news uh most recently Uh, like yeah my mom just like texted me and sent me or no she emailed me and sent me a link and it was to like a local news story about this dude and how everybody like now the police are forcing him to clean up all his trash um and i wrote my mom back i was like wow you can see your porch in that <laughs> so like yeah it, it keeps going on but now he's just like 
a weird junk hoarder, and that's not as exciting. No, that's kind of that's sort of sad. Yeah. What is what does your mom think about the saga being made into a zine? Oh, she doesn't like it at all. Really? Uh, yeah, she made me stop selling it. Um, <laughs> Because she's convinced that, like, he will somehow find out about it and then will sue me, um, which is, like, I don't think that's true. Um, one, I think it'd be really hard for him to find out about it because, uh, like, the, the path he would have to take to find a zine that some dude in Portland is making right. is, a, is a pretty crooked one. Um, and then, like, yeah, uh, like, what's he going to sue me for, like, documenting? Oh what he actually did um so but and i tried to explain it to my mom and she was like listen i don't ask you for anything like and i was like that's fair like i'll i thought she would be proud to be like my co-author on that book but uh (laughs) no so i got her to promise that like if he moves away or if he goes to jail that i could put it back out so it's like a collector's item yeah, I'm going to try and put together probably closer to the end of the year. I'm going to try and do like a comprehensive one. Um, and I'm just going to like change the city name and I'll put like blocks over the dude's eyes. Like anytime you can see somebody's face, mm-hmm. um, I'll just cover my bases to make sure that I don't get sued. Yeah, and I'll, I'll take my mom's name out of it. I'll just list her as my mom uh, and possibly put it out under a pseudonym. Like just to cover all the bases, like nobody can be sued by uh, over this now. Does does your mom in general follow like the clown motel or the? Does she is she a big fan of your, no. your books, like your books that you are putting out no. now? <laughs> no, um, no. My mom told me like it, she's like yeah, I just don't I don't read comics, and I was like that's fine. Uh, you know, she read High Crimes, and she really liked that. And I think she, I've got her interested to read Crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, like she, you know, the clown motel thing, like I didn't even tell her about it until I was actually in the clown motel and I called her. And I was like, oh, FYI, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying here for a month. And, and yeah, like, you know, but then I told her, I was like, yeah, I raised $10,000 to come stay out here. And she's like, oh, okay. Like, it's <laughs> stupid, but, like, you're not, you know, at least you're making some money off of it. So, and she got, like, excited when I told her we got nominated for Eisner's. Right. Um, but then I had to explain what Eisner's were. So, no, I mean, you know, I, I try to pick my, there are certain things that happen in my career that I'm definitely like, okay, uh, I could tell my mom about this and it'll like, it'll make her feel like, Oh, okay. He's still doing okay. Like she doesn't have to worry about me. So I think that's what it all comes down to. She's just like, what are you doing with yourself? Like, (laughs) (laughs) which is natural. I would be concerned. You have so many books though. I feel like you're very busy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, she just like she doesn't. Mom stuff. Yeah, if if they were real books, you know, if they were prose books, like she would be uh, much prouder because she actually reads prose. So I don't I don't blame her. Like you know, she grew up or you know she she raised me as a comics nerd and had to deal with all that crap. So <laughs> um, you know, the last thing she wants to do as as a much older person is like deal with it all again. So. 
Oh, um, and just, I guess, for we're, we're recording this the day before Mother's Day. This is going yes. to come out in, uh, probably at the end of May, but we're recording this the day before Mother's Day, so I don't know, all this mom stuff. I actually want to do <laughs> a, an episode of our regular show, which is kind of like, um, it's almost like panel topics that we do um, every mm-hmm. week, and I really want to do like a how to get your mom into comics topic, and because, you know, my mom she read comics when she was a kid and then she stopped for a long time and she actually got a bitch planet tattoo with me. Like she's into comics wow. now. So, wow. you know, I feel like I-, I could speak to getting moms back into comics as someone sure. who did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I support that. I-, I don't know how to do it. Like, uh, I've definitely, you know, like I suggested my book heartthrob to her. I was like, it takes place, you know, in the late seventies and blah, blah. And she was like, no, that sounds good. So, I mean, yeah, I'm just, you know, uh, I figure she might get around to she's retired now. So it's very possible that like she'll read some of them. I mean, I ended up like I keep sending her stuff. So she's got it. But right. on the uh, yeah, she also has a lot of TV shows to watch, though. So I don't think she's going to like <laughs> run, out of, run out of those anytime soon. Well, so I mean, I don't know if there's anything you could talk about, but Heartthrob got option for a TV show, right? Mm hmm. No, she was super into that. Um, That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, those are the things that, like, I, I kind of, you know, I like to, like, tell my mom about because, like, then it makes her feel like, oh, okay. Like, I mean, because when I first told her, like, hey, I'm going to start, like, pursuing writing comics for a living, like, she probably thought that, like, oh, crap, like. <laughs> <laughs> moving back home <laughs> yeah yeah because i had just moved to portland um and you know so like already i was like moving across the country and then i tell her like oh yeah i'm gonna like pursue writing comics so she's like oh yeah this is not this is not good like now i just kind of look for things that i can feed her to like be like hey like this was actually the best decision i ever made like and here's why yeah i feel like god this has become like Freudian analysis hour with Tia. <laughs> Tell me about your mom. <laughs> uh, okay, so mom stuff aside. Yes. Crowded sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Can you tell us kind of the elevator pitch for Crowded? Because uh, yeah, I want to talk about it a little. But I don't All know right. what we're um, like. You want to talk about? Um. Well, it's basically it's a book that I I call it 10 minutes in the future takes place 10 minutes in the future in a in an america where there is a uh, a uh, crowdfunding platform for assassinations and so you can basically open a campaign on anybody and as long as someone else backs it then anyone out there can decide like oh i could use $500 and go track this person down kill them and uh, collect the money that's been raised so that's our setup and our story is about a woman charlie who wakes up one morning and suddenly has a like a 1.25 million dollar campaign that's barely a day old um and she has no idea why like thousands of people are backing it and wow uh so everybody's trying to kill her and she hires uh our other main character, Vita, from this uh, Uber for bodyguard app, bodyguards <laughs> app called Defend. Um, so, so yeah, it, it basically becomes like you know, um, 
them, you know, Vita trying to keep Charlie alive while they're trying to figure out why everybody wants Charlie dead. So for the parameters of like the rules of the universe, did you just decide that it's legal to murder people? In in this case, yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's a certain point where I had to just be like, well, you have to accept this if you're going to read this book. Right. Um, and I'm not going to turn it into, you know, a, you know, like, uh, I'm not going to turn it into, like, the the Star Wars trilogy where they just talk about uh, trade routes and stuff. <laughs> um, so I try to cover some some ground as to why it's legal. I mean, mostly it's legal because they couldn't stop it. Um, so now they basically bureaucratize it to death. So... Mm-hmm. If you do it, if you go out and, like, collect uh, a campaign on somebody, you have to fill out, like, mountains of paperwork to submit to the police. And, you know, if you screw up one thing on it, you're, you're basically handing them a signed confession. And right. uh, if you screw up one thing on it, then, then you get dragged through the ringer. So, you know, then any money you might have raised now goes to your defense. And so it's, yeah, there are rules to sort of regulate why everybody in the world isn't doing it. Um, but but at the end of the day, I was just like, well, it's the toothpaste is out of the tube. I mean, it's the same, you know, it's like downloading music. Um, right. You know, like that as soon as somebody figured out how to put that out there in the world, it was it was over. Like, I feel like this this concept would have some really interesting implications for suicidal people yeah yeah just put a hit on yourself yeah not have to worry about doing it yourself sorry i'm gonna get really dark here (laughs) i don't know why i just thought of that it's fine mom don't listen my mom listens to the show i'm not suicidal it's fine uh yeah no i mean there's all sorts of you know one of the big things that kind of was the inspiration for this was like the idea of this thing not so much the actual mechanics of it, but like the idea of it becomes this looming threat. So suddenly like, like on the downside, you have people running around murdering each other all the time. Um, on the upside, like so many people in power are terrified of this thing that, that they don't want a campaign opened on them. So they actually begin to like, you know, like your representative actually represents you and <laughs> look at you using your like powers for good. And I'm over here like, how can I commit suicide with this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's where it initially came from was like the idea of like, just like if, if you know, a hundred thousand people all threw money in, like, you know, all threw in five bucks or something or more, like yeah. they could they could fund somebody, you know, that's enough money for somebody to go and try and do something really insane. Um, and, you know, it sort of excuses you morally because, you know, you're like, well, I didn't give a thousand dollars. I only gave five dollars. Um, you know, you can like these dilute the, the moral dilemma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, well, yeah, but these other, you know, nine hundred and ninety nine thousand people gave too. like so it's not all my fault. Um <laughs> So it becomes a way of like sort of dispensing, you know, quote unquote justice, but without having any of that inconvenient, like moral, uh, um, you know, conscience stuff bothering you at the end of it. 
On the topic of using your power for good, you have solicited um, backup stories from up-and-coming creators. And Mm -hmm. uh, so you're going to dedicate some space in the issues to just giving people kind of a a platform to put their stories out there. How has that been going, getting, like, kind of sorting through all of that? Uh, Luckily, a friend of mine, uh, she has, she offered her assistance to like organize everything. So she's, she's been doing an amazing job. Um, I think we have, uh, right now we have 35 official submissions that we have logged in. There's probably about 20 more. And, and there's, uh, at least like 20 plus people who have emailed in the time since that we need to email. So there's a ton of them. So right now it's like we're just trying to get everything in order so we can start reading over the pitches and everything. It's a lot of work. Like, not not my smartest idea, um, but luckily <laughs> I'm not doing a lot of the work. So really it just comes down to reading these pitches and deciding what you know which one we think would be cool as a backup. Yeah. I mean, so as a as an aspiring creator, what does that mean for, for someone's career or self-esteem or just kind of encouragement to, I mean, like when you were maybe in that stage in your career, are you, were you thinking back to like, if someone had given me this opportunity that really could have given me a boost kind of? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, it was a very specific example that, um, it was in 20, is 2012 um i i had like just done emerald city and it was a disaster for me like i was walking around with like my my trades of screamland my first book and giving them to editors and like nobody cared and i was just having a bad time and you know i had nothing else i had stuff lined up but it was so far down the road that i was like well i i don't know when i like maybe I'm not going to break into comics. So um, after that, my buddy Joe Keating and I went out and he was just starting up a book at Image called Hell Yeah. And he was like, you know, like we're going to, I was thinking about doing backups in this. So like, you know, if you wanted to do like a 12 page story and we just run it in like three parts. Um, and I was like, yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, and like, race to go like find an artist and get started on it and it you know like that it never came out um i think the book actually stopped coming out but also we never finished our part of it so um it you know it never came to fruition but just like the fact of like having that as a motivator for me was really huge um and that you know somebody was yeah like giving me that shot like so i figure I feel like Crowded is is a book that's going to do pretty well, and I I like to extend that platform to other people. I mean, especially people who just like you normally don't read stuff from in comics. Um, Honestly, I think the way that I dis- discover new things to read at this point is is uh, I guess tacit recommendations from creators I already trust you know, like anthologies mm-hmm. that people put together or, you know, people who will be a, like a guest artist on an, an 
an issue of a book that I already read or back up things like that. I do think that um, a lot of creators have like a brand almost or like you you kind of just know like oh we we kind of have the same taste or I trust this person so if if you're saying that it's good I'm going to check it out so it's right. you know that's a good way I think to yeah. discover new th- things and to get your work out there if you're a creator yeah and I think for a creator like just being able to say like hey like I have a backup out you know from image comics today yeah. um is just like you know amongst your your circle like that's a big thing so I wanted yeah I just wanted to give somebody that that thing that like I was offered um and hopefully like we can actually take it all the way to completion um but yeah I mean I you know I'm I feel like so much of you know comics is such a small industry and everybody knows everybody and there is a tendency of like and I get it. I felt it myself of like, you know, once you get in there, it's like, well, I'm in like, uh, <laughs> see ya, everybody else. Um, and you know, I've definitely, I feel that constantly like that sort of worry, but you know, it's at the end of the day, um, I wouldn't be in comics without people helping me. And if this is like the least I can do to like give a voice to people who are, out there struggling and wondering if this is something they even want to do. Like that's, I don't know. Like it, it wouldn't, I'm trying to like, at least in my own little backyard, trying to build a better industry. So, um, that, that feels like a good way to do it, to devote some of our space to, to creators who otherwise wouldn't get a space. Well, I am very, uh, I'm looking forward to see what ends up in, in the backup stories with that. Me too. <laughs> Your other book that's coming out, I think in the end of June, Shanghai Red. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, end of June. Yeah. June 20th. June 20th. This book looks so, uh, it's a set in the 19th century. Right. And yeah. In and, the like mid 1890s. Okay. I hope I don't get your pitch wrong. So it's about a woman who is like going back to Portland uh, to seek revenge on these people who had uh, set her on this course that can you elaborate on my terrible summation (laughs) of your your pitch? Yeah. There's a, you know, the term Shanghai now, you know, means to like take over something, but uh, like, Shanghai used to be a practice where sailors would get either like tricked or physically dragged onto boats and have their signatures forged. Um, and then, you know, like they'd wake up and they're in the, you know, uh, heading out to sea. And the, the way the laws were was like, you could do anything to a sailor that was on your boat, but a sailor could never like jump, like leave in the middle of their contract. That was like, they'd immediately get thrown in the prison. Um, so like our story is about, uh, this woman who ends up getting Shanghai, um, and who has basically spent two years on this boat, um, hiding as a man, uh, cause she's been living her life sort of dressing up as a man in order to get the kind of work she thinks she deserves, which elevates her and makes her happier. But then, by the same token, also sets her up to get Shanghai. Um, right. 
So, yeah, I mean, our book opens with her basically, like, going after all the sailors on the boat and then turning the boat around and heading back to Portland to to track down every person who is responsible for putting her on that boat. And also to, you know, get back to her family who is still back there and who have no idea what happened to her. So it's, I mean, it, it feels like it m- might be my most serious book to this point. Um, like, it's very... I don't know. It's not like any other book I've done. Um, it's also like very violent because um, it's a revenge book right. at its heart. But, you know, we also wanted it to make it about more than that. So, I mean, it's also about like families and especially about identity um, with Red trying to, you know, deal with these sort of two sides of herself uh, because like, you know, the whole like male side of herself like becomes a thing that she is both like she really likes but is also like has a lot of blame for it for her being where she is now so yeah it's a lot of like yeah um it's hard to sum up uh basically is that i mean gender identity in the late 19th century obviously people didn't have the same uh language and scripts and sort of ideas about it as we do now but yeah. obviously you know people trans people and genderqueer people and like they existed if even yeah. if they didn't have the same words for it so are, are you tra- going to look at any of that in the book um, as things progress because it sounds like that's kind of a, a part of her identity that's going to be really in the in the forefront yeah I mean we definitely deal with it um you know, a lot of it is about gender identity and, you know, sort of figuring out that stuff. Um, you know, I am not a trans person, so I did not want to do a book about a trans person. Like, um, that, that certainly can be taken from this, like, but I didn't want to make it explicit. I mean, a lot of this was derived basically from my own stuff of like, you know, trying to figure out where I fit on the spectrum and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of having that questioning. Um, and it felt like this was a good way to kind of explore that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we deal with it, but it's very much like, it's not a book about, you know, uh, like the gender, gender identity thing is not like, that's not like our hook. Um, right. I'm, yeah, it's it's hard to talk about because I don't want it to seem like, you know, um, that I'm like using this as a story engine and that's it. You know, I'm not like I just don't want it to sound cheap or anything um, or come across as cheap. You know, I've I've had, you know, I have sensitivity readers who read over the issues and let me know if I am screwing stuff up, like people who are at different parts on the on the gender spectrum. So I, my whole goal is to like tell a story that that resonates with me, but, uh, can also resonate with other people, but also isn't like me just making blind assumptions about shit. Cause I feel like that's where, you know, I see so many writers or not so many, but I see some writers complaining like, Oh, so I can't write about this now because I'm not, because I'm a white, and it's like, no, dude, that's not what they're saying. Like, 
you can write about this, but one, be prepared to get called on your shit when you mess it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, be prepared to like do the work and make it mean something like this, you know, somebody's life isn't like your, you know, your fictional hook that right. you're just going to like use and then walk away from. Um, yeah, I, I, I was at Emerald City Comic Con. I was on a panel about like representation and diversity and how to how to do it well. And there were a lot of questions like that where it was like, can I just not write outside of my identity? And mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's terrible to to be that limited and to say that you. It's almost like saying you can only care about stories that are within your identity, which is just the opposite of what the, is the whole point of all of this. Right. But um, it sounds like what you're doing here is is telling a story that has a lot of different aspects to it. And this is one of them. And if you had ignored that aspect, it would be as bad as if you had made it the entire focus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, our story is about our main character, Red, and sort of you know, but uh, my my I feel like my main job is to bring my my characters to life uh, for myself to where they are like actual people, and and it makes one it makes the writing easier as you go because then you basically like they tell you what they're supposed to be doing in reaction to this situation or that, like it, um, but. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're just dealing with, with, you know, many different aspects of this character, um, you know, and it's not like it's a, you know, we basically reveal that she's hiding as a man on page five of the first issue, so it's not like, um, but it doesn't become like, you know, the, then the next 20 pages aren't like the other people on the ship grilling her about it, like... Right. Because it's a time where like that stuff is just like so not understood. I don't know. Like it's a book that like I've I've felt a lot of trepidation about. Um I you know, like and I could see how it might go wrong if I if I screwed up. But I'm also I'm I'm willing to admit if I did screw up and if somebody is offended by something I did and to be better about it, which I feel is like better than half of the screw ups that happen yeah in in comics uh, or anywhere like you know like if trying to find a true apology from somebody is like you know trying to find water in the desert um so if i do screw up then like i will own it and i will fix it going forward but yeah i the main reason I write is to write about people who aren't me. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like you have a lot of stories about women or with yeah. women protagonists. And, and you know, I don't get the sense that you are treating them as objects in some sort of weird power fantasy, which that can happen a lot with women characters. Sure, you know? sure. For me, it's that, you know, like, I grew up my whole life with, white dude stories like i've had my fill and the last thing i want to do is like throw more onto the pile um and i i feel like it's a way to really i don't know it's like you're coddling yourself it's like you refuse to sort of step outside the comfortability of your existence and to try and understand how another person might think and feel and you know it's also like i don't know sometimes i think there are 
there are all of these stories and ways of thinking and ways of seeing the world that you if you only read stories about white guys you're just you're you're not even going to know what you don't know about wide swaths of the world yeah and you know i i feel like so much of this sort of like weird racist nexus we're in is that so many people have never had to confront a world where you know they aren't the center of it and i i try you know i try not to think about myself much at all like i'm not my biggest fan and i've uh you know i live with a swirl of like mental issues and self-loathing so on that one level it's just easier for me to think outside myself because like that would just drag things down but also like then it becomes like it becomes actual fiction like it's not just like i'm not like gary suing myself into <laughs> the next the next story that i've come up with right um and at the end of the day like you know like writing women is like writing men like you just it you have to write them well like that's that's my job um mm-hmm. so yeah it's just been like you know felt always felt like the better option for me because i don't want to get lazy and i don't want i don't want to be part of the problem and you know especially like doing books like welcome back like getting that kind of reaction uh from people who are really really into that book and like you know people able able to see themselves in something like that is like like what do i get out of seeing myself in a story like that like nothing like it's I don't know. This all becomes like weird. There's also something I think so valuable in being able to see yourself in someone who is totally unlike you. Yeah. I mean, and that's what it is, you know? Yeah. I, I, every one of the characters I write, like there are parts of myself in each one of those characters. And it's like, and yeah, it still fits with them, even though they're not me. Like, so I don't know. Um, everybody you know is basically not i mean everybody isn't the same but basically everybody is the same like (laughs) it's not like you know every there's some mysterious like key you have to unlock like um you know like writing women writing people of color like you're just writing people like uh, you definitely don't want to like have a template where it's like okay every character is spat out from this machine and um like you want to do the work and mostly the work involves like talking to people who aren't also like right. white dudes so reading uh, stories by yeah. them yeah yeah and just like expanding your horizons and you know like that's i feel privileged that i'm able to write for a living and like the fact that like i can do it by that I can get books out there that like, you know, maybe 20 years ago would never exist. I mean, that's, I want to take full advantage of that, you know? Um, and I want to do like stories with queer protagonists and people of color and, uh, and just basically people who aren't me. Cause I live yeah. with myself all the time and I'm kind of tired of it. So like I'm this really fiction is for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm writing for myself as well. Like it's, it's much easier for me to like just sink into that story. And I don't know, it's just much more exciting to 
be writing somebody who isn't me. I feel like in most of your books, there's a lot of like, even in books that are, I feel I would consider Heartthrob to be like a more lighthearted version, but there's like a lot of death and danger in your books. Mm -hmm. Yes. And everyone experiences death and danger at some point in their lives. That's pretty universal. Something that I noticed and when you were talking about Shanghai Red I was like wow it's like it's even in these books that are upcoming like having a body is a problem yes yeah it's a problem and I mean so if you look it's like in Heartthrob she has the heart transplant and welcome back there's the reincarnation you know in Cold War there's like the heads and the you know being frozen and coming back and Mm -hmm. um in shanghai red you know she's like dealing with these gender issues in crowded you could literally be sniped at any minute and you wouldn't even know it it's like i don't know do you have is this thing that you've like worked out as a theme or is it just kind of coming out yeah i just like and i noticed like a you know a long time ago that like this was apparently a theme of mine so um, I certainly don't try to keep stuff on theme. It's just, uh, I don't know. You know, I grew up a dark kid uh, who watched horror movies all the time. And, you know, when the internet was invented, then I was like, you know, one of the first people on Rotten.com, like watching the most disgusting crap you, that they could post on the internet. Um, I, you know, and like, uh, I, I guess it's an outlet for me. Um you know, like I like violent video games too. So, I mean, yeah. And uh, I mean, ultimately I think death is just like a really interesting subject because there's, you know, all the, all we know is that it literally happens to everybody and we have no idea what happens after it. Um, and like people will try to offer clues, but like nobody has any idea. So it, it feels like this sort of, you know, you could say whatever you want about it and nobody can come up and, say oh that's not true um so you could say like yeah reincarnation totally exists and there's a secret war going on and like prove me wrong <laughs> like uh but, even, but i don't know like being corporeal is literally mm-hmm. like day to day my just my biggest problem yeah no i i would totally be into like being a, a brain in a jar um, just like a mist maybe like a mist of some kind would sure be yeah um no i mean yeah bodies are a problem and you know there's so much about being alive that's a pain in the ass um but yeah the worst I, thing I, in the world to me is like this is so dumb it annoys me that you get hungry and then you uh-huh. eat and you have right. to like decide what to eat and get the things and make it and feed yourself and then clean up afterwards and then you're hungry again like six hours later like what is that Maybe you should do less. <laughs> like a sloth. <laughs> yeah, like if you ate that food and then just immediately like laid down, uh, <laughs> it would take you much longer to get hungry. So consider it's, that. There's just like such the banality of having a body just is like the heaping insult upon the injury of being alive. Yeah, no, it all kind of sucks to some degree. Um you know, having to pay bills and having to, you know, um, all the garbage that comes with like being alive is like, I mean, I still love it though. Like, uh, it's certainly better than the alternative. So, um, the death is just like, 
it feels like a, an open wall of possibility, yeah. um, which is not, I think, how you're supposed to look at it. But I think that having that perspective for me, like, keeps me from freaking out about it. Like, yeah. and I don't really worry about it. Like, I know it's out there and it will show up for me at some point. But, you know, it's like, I also feel like I've been coaching myself to be like, hey, maybe it'll be like a really interesting adventure on the other side of it. Like, uh, like no need to be so afraid. There's, I, I get that. It's, I don't know. There's, there's a very relaxed attitude about that that I feel like I pick up in, in a lot of your books because they're just, they're like just off of reality. It's not super high fantasy where you're just like, mm. you know, creating this entirely new set of rules for the universe. It's like, what if this one thing was a little bit different? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I don't like fantasy as a rule. Um, I, 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 I'm not opposed to like big world building stuff, but, but fantasy especially, it's just like that stuff puts me to sleep. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like, I like introducing variables that will like, you know, let's see, you know, especially with like crowded, you know, we're not trying to make a relevant book there, but like the more, that we worked on it and the more the news cycle kept evolving, it was like, Oh crap. Like, <laughs> I don't think we're far off from some of this stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, but you know, this is how I guess I think about our world is through fiction and sort of like honing in on these certain aspects and just kind of making them a bit more fun to deal with. Um, like I have this pitch that I'm still, trying to land with somebody um and it's basically all about gentrification and rent hikes in portland um but it is a science fiction story about black holes um mm -hmm. so like yeah it's just like a way for me to explore stuff that most of my writing is just like well this is something i can't stop thinking about i better write a, a story about it and that's how i drive it out of my 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 head eventually yeah Going back to what you were saying about being a weird kid who really is into horror movies, do you have like your top three favorite horror movies or horror movies that you feel like really are present when you're working out your ideas for your own work? Um, yeah, and I've definitely like, I mean, I want to write more horror. Um, also, I'm you know sort of intimidated by it because I know that so much horror is just terrible. Um, and I know that because I wade through it all to try and find like the one good horror movie or the one good horror book. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. My favorites change constantly. I mean, I'd say like right now it's probably like John Carpenter's the thing. Um, that movie, the witch that came out a couple of years ago. I was going to wear my black Philip for president. T-shirt. <laughs> you should have, you would have been, uh, very on brand for this. Um, and then the third one, like, I um, I don't know. Probably some found footage movie. But you, I can't decide. Do you think a witch... Cause, because my reading of The Witch is that they, were, they all were driven insane, like, by their own kind of fears and anxieties after they were isolated in that house. But... When I was when I talked to some people, they're like, "No, there was definitely a witch." I think it's both. 
Um, I mean, I feel like their isolation made one made them more vulnerable, and then that that is how the witch like kind of eased in was by preying on these, you know, like the father's like complete incompetence to get anything done yeah. except chopping wood. Um, you know, eventually she uses that against him and, you know, he gets buried under the pile of wood when black Philip rams him. Um, so I think there's definitely a witch, um, just cause I think it's super cool, I guess. Um, I, I don't, I don't want that movie to just be like an allegory for, <laughs> Uh, like I want it, I want, you know, and I know a lot of people like complain. They're like, yeah, I really liked it up until the very ending. And I was like, that was the best part. Like I was so exciting to have a movie end like that. Like I can't, I can't even like put into words how thrilling that was to see that in the theater. Like, cause I loved that movie all the way. And then when that ending hit, I was like, holy shit. Like they just went for it. And I am so satisfied just as a uh, as a horror fan and like as a story fan like i just um yeah i, so I love that movie in usually in endings because like that's when right. that's when every horror film fails itself usually oh yeah yeah like, so the witch i agree that it to me is in my top favorites because it kind of kept moving up and up and up to, all the way to the end it didn't fail itself in the, the last act and every, I mean, just like everything in the movie is so good, you know, the, the set design, yeah. you know, the fact that like, the fact that they like built that house according to, you know, using the same methods that they would have built the house back. The costumes that, too, I think I saw a featurette where they talked about that. Do yeah. You, do that kind of research, like for Shanghai Red, where it's set in a historical period, did you dig into a lot of... Like what was 1890s Portland look like and feel like? Yeah, uh, I mean it's a little bit harder. Um, and at a certain point, there are some subjects you do and you just research them to death to make sure you're getting it right. There's other subjects that you're like, who is gonna call bullshit on this? Um, <laughs> so like for for high crimes, like there would there were a couple moments where we were like well, this might not be technically accurate, but the only one who's going to call us on this is somebody who has summited Mount Everest and also reads comic books. Right. So I feel like it's a very narrow Venn diagram. Um, you almost want to give it to that person too. Like, Oh yeah. If they I called mean? me on it, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I would make them an award. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for, for Shanghai, like, you know, like I definitely tried to figure out sort of a general dress sense to give to Josh and just be like, here's kind of what we'll be dealing with. But Josh went much more in depth with all that stuff. Um, the art looks really beautiful. He's so good. Yeah. And he's like ridiculously young. Um, uh, you he's know, got still a lot of energy, <laughs> got a lot of energy and he's, he's only going to get better as he goes. Like, you know, and this is his first like officially published book. So, oh, that's yeah, and I feel like, yeah, he's just going to get better and better. But he's done, you know, a lot of the visual research was all on Josh. Like, I tried to help where I could, but, How'd you, you know, uh, on Tumblr. That's the best place. It's also the I, best I place. Never, yeah, I never go on Tumblr anymore. Like, I, I know he's never, I don't know. Like, I don't hate Tumblr, but I also am just like, there's only so many hours in the day and I've already got Twitter and <laughs> Facebook. Like I can't manage a third thing. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, that's like the best thing that ever happened to me on Tumblr was I ran across Josh's stuff and literally just sent him a message on Tumblr being like, uh, if you ever want to work on something, let me know. And he wanted to. So here we are. On the whole, you tend to meet very strange people. So I'm glad that in this case, it, it was like a really good situation. Yeah, I mostly meet strange people just out in the world. Like online, I've gotten good about, I think as a result of that, like my my psychic defenses online yeah. keep like the real weirdos away um, is working overtime. It's just that, like, I think I expend so much energy of it online, it just breaks down in the real world. No, I have witnessed this where like, a group of people are standing on the street and a weird lady will walk up and she will go to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I give off a pheromone or something. <laughs> and they're just like, Oh, this dude will indulge me longer than anyone else here. <laughs> and it's true. I always will like to a certain degree. And then, and then, you know, just cause I'm just like, Oh, well this is kind of interesting, but you know, those things never end when you're ready for them to end. So the more you indulge it, then the harder it gets to extract yourself unless that you just want to be rude scene. and walk away. Yes. Well, there's so many of them. Like, it just happens constantly. I've just gotten used to it now. And, you know, I learned to, like, how can I speed this transaction along? Like, I know this thing's going to happen, but, like, can we not let it go past the five-minute mark so I can, like, <laughs> I can have this moment and then you can have this moment and then we can just separate? Uh yeah, that's always the hardest part because once it gets rolling, then it's like, oh, shit, I'm locked in. <laughs> you should do like a training video for people who need that skill. That seems like a very handy skill. It's the worst skill ever. Like I've gotten nothing from it. Um, just like except, you know, my time wasted and, you know, people like offering me stuff I would never take from strangers like drugs and <laughs> stuff like <laughs> Literally yesterday, I was walking home from the the grocery store, and a dude like had my headphones on. Dude stopped me, at, just to say like, "Hey, do you smoke weed?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Do you got a pipe?" And I was like, "I'm gonna keep going because <laughs> I think you just asked if you could like smoke some of my weed, but you worded it in a way." And I was just like, "No, like I know this is not gonna go anywhere good, so I'm out." Um, and I, I don't get nearly into the like levels that I used to. I mean, there was a time where when I lived in Kansas city, I would give strangers rides. Um, it didn't happen a lot, but like wow. the last, the last time it happened was, uh, uh, was the one that broke me of that habit. Cause it was a dude who was just like, yeah, I just need to be run over here. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then he was like, asking me if I wanted to buy drugs and I was like well I would buy some weed I guess and then it just turned into this odyssey and then I was like listen I don't I actually don't want any drugs I just want to get you wherever you're going because at this point it was like two in the morning so I was like yeah I'm good like we can and yeah it, it ended with him like he was pretending to put weed in this bag that was in my back seat that had a candy bar in it um, and he stole the candy bar and he didn't put weed in there. Oh, that like, fucker. <laughs> so I was like, great. I gave this asshole a ride. Like, <laughs> and he steals my candy bar. Um, 
And that's so, definitely the kind of thing where, like, if if someone told me that story, I would be like, that would happen to Chris Sabila. Yeah. I mean, I, I've just been lucky that, like, none of these things has gone wrong on me, um, which, no, you know. We don't want you to end up on, like, the last podcast on the left as a, yeah, yeah. As a grizzly um, murder victim. Oh, God. It's like, what's that movie? There's something about Mary when he picks up the hitchhiker, the seven-minute abs guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be. Don't get murdered no, by the seven-minute abs guy. Yeah, I've never picked up a hitchhiker. I really want to, but like, <laughs> I can only see that going wrong. So I always resist. But I know really, there will come a time in my life where I'm just not going to be able to hold out anymore. I think we'd all like to know how your books end, and uh, would like you to keep writing more and just generally just, be well and and sure. and not murdered. That's why I haven't picked up. Uh, I'm looking for the right hitchhiker. <laughs> The one who screams, like, I'm totally not going to murder you. <laughs> if you're listening and you need to be uh, given a ride somewhere, you you know what to do. I don't have a car anymore, so oh, this okay. is a this is a down the road offer. But ride. as soon as yeah, as soon as I get a car again, then look out for me because <laughs> I will give one of you a ride. Well, um, it has been an absolute delight to catch up with you and chat about all of these books and i really can't wait for shanghai red and crowded to come out yeah i can send you uh some previews if you want to see them that would be awesome and the next time you see me also remind me to pick up a dog zine from you yeah i will uh i gotta get more than printed i think i'm gonna expand it a little bit because now i have more dog photos yeah um you never do you yeah. any, any cats. My cat likes to go for walks on her harness. She didn't make an appearance today, but uh, no. she loves to go for walks. There are there are a couple cats that are in the zine. Um, like one the all night coffee shop I used to go to. There were at least two occasions. Well, there was one occasion where somebody brought their cat on a leash. Mm-hmm. And the cat was super not into it. <laughs> um, and then there was another where. A cat literally, like, a cat ran away from their house and wound up at the coffee shop. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually, like, ended up taking them home with me. Of course you did. Well, like, it was a super affectionate cat, and it was, like, all over me. And I was like, well, this is clearly somebody's cat. So um, I, I went on Craigslist, and I found I found somebody who was like, yeah, this is the cat that's missing. And I was like, this is the cat. Um but they didn't have a phone number, so I just emailed them. And I was like, hey, I have your cat. I guess I'm going to take them home with me, so just let me know. Um, and then, yeah, like, so I was just this cat in my room. Um, and when I woke up, he had, like, left me a number and stuff. So, <laughs> Well, that's you're, like, you know, reuniting the cat and his owner. That's very sweet. Yeah, like some of the, you know, like the weirdos who come at me uh are animals and they're good and i try to you know that's the only time i've ever reunited a lost pet with their owner but that 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 cat appears in the zine um there's also a horse standing outside of a weed dispensary wow Uh, yeah (laughs) so not just dogs mostly dogs but we we do take breaks for other species well if you want to check out Chris's zines and also he posts a lot of these pictures um, where can people find you on Twitter I'm uh, at uh, xtop x-t-o-p 
And uh, I assume people can also stay updated on your books when they're coming out, what's uh, what's new, etc. where to buy them. That's the best place. I mean, I have a website that I try to keep updated with my books and stuff, if nothing else. So that's just ChristopherSibella.com. But I'm also very lazy about it. So sometimes I just throw a cover up. But it's a way to occasionally see covers that nobody else has seen. So, Have I been saying your name wrong? Uh, yeah, but not horribly wrong. I'm sorry. People say my no, name I, all the time. I don't. So. I don't even correct people anymore. It's like as long as you're not like completely mangling it. I I just go like I have friends who I've known for like 15 years who still mispronounce my name. So <laughs> it's just like it's uh what happens when you have a well you know like yeah. when you when you have a name that isn't like a when you have that many vowels in a name people it's gonna throw to people off. Yeah, yeah. So I just roll with it now. Well, thank you so much for taking an hour to chat with me. Yeah, anytime. This was fun. Yeah. I can't wait to see some of this stuff. I can hook you up. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, All right. I will... uh, When will I see you? I don't know. Do you do New York Comic Con? Uh, I don't have plans to unless, like... Um... Yeah, I mean, unless something changes, yeah. maybe Emerald City just, next year. Emerald City, yeah, I'm I'm keeping it like pretty low key on cons anymore. I think That's I'm just, yeah, I think I'm just gonna do like Emerald City, um, uh, Heroes, Rose City. Oh, are you gonna be at Heroes? Yeah. Oh well, I will see you there. Okay. Yeah, cool. I will totally be there. All right. All right. Well, until then. Yes, it was good to uh, chat again. You too. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Twitter at IRCB Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Portrait of Madame X. We have a Goodreads group where we're over 300 members strong and we have weekly threads, monthly show discussions, all kinds of stuff. Our website is ircbpodcast.com. Please rate the show, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org. Infinity Shred is the best. They do all our music. Xander is also the best. He edits the show. And of course, Mike is also, also the best. He's our podcast producer extraordinaire. Thank you to them. Thank you to you. Thank you to my guests. Thank you.